Hi, everyone. It's nice to be here this morning. Always nice to be in church. Uh, I've got a little, uh, we'll start with a little, uh, little bit of uh, music, if we can. Feel free to dance. dropping. been having a little series of, I don't know what we're calling it, uh, tough topics, tough stuff, life stuff. Um, and today um, I'm talking about grief. Rivers of Babylon is actually a lament. It's a song about grief, about grieving um, loss of their homelands, loss of the homelands. On uh, January 10, 2013, my sister died. It didn't feel like Boney M. Didn't feel happy. Nothing like an upbeat song. It was a devastating, sad moment of my life. And um, yeah, life, life's never been the same since really. It was life changing. Grief is... Um, Grief is one of those universal emotions. Probably, I imagine everybody in this room has experienced grief in one way or another. Perhaps slightly more lightheartedly, my, my daughter's first, probably first, or one of their first moments of grief was when um, at play centre there used to be two guinea pigs, Patches and Spike. <laughs> one day Spike made a run for it, <laughs> out of the safety of the cage into the deep, luscious grass. It was found alive, but it was too late by the time they got into the vet. <laughs> but the girls, were, the girls cried about that. The girls were devastated about that. It's, a, it's one of those things that we all, nobody wants. Nobody wants to get to the moment where they're experiencing grief, but everybody does, right? It's part of, it's part of life. Grief's the emotion of loss. Grief is what you experience when you, when, you, when you lose something. A loved one. Love of a public figure. Remember when uh, Princess Diana died? Yeah. Crazy, eh? Most of the people that grieved didn't even know her. Never met her. Never talked to her. But just 
profound sadness. I remember when uh, when my my sister's boyfriend ran over our cat. <laughs> he survived. She didn't. The cat didn't. Yeah. But that was um. I was distraught by that. I was really upset by that. I was more upset than than when my grandparents died. And kind of ashamedly, but the cat lived with us. My grandparents didn't. <laughs> yeah. What about loss of a sporting match? Can I mention 2007, France, quarterfinals of the World Cup? A nation mourned. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not so much, but loss of a job, loss of a goal, loss of hope. I was really upset when, um, when we shifted from Tower as well. We used to live in Tower when I was younger and I was really upset when we shifted out of our house there. It had been my childhood house and I think I probably mourned that. I think I was probably grieving for a place that I'd grown up in when we moved. Rivers of Babylon, kind of the same, right? Loss of their homeland, loss of their place, loss of their home. People mourn for, for all sorts of things. But genuine mourning is about things of great significance. And especially about people. It's an incredibly difficult emotion to deal with, um, but I think it's a really important emotion. I, I have a, when I work, I have a, a, a little model that I run through in my head, which is um, it's basically three steps. Um, significance. Why, is this, why, why are you feeling this way? What's significant about it? Feel the emotion, and then eventually start to move on. That's my, that's my little three-step model. Anyway, um, yeah, grief is important. I think it's really important. Because with, without the feelings of loss, without the, the, the emotions, without the difficulty of it, we lose the sense of significance. We lose, we lose the importance of of what we've lost, and it's really important to have those um, defined areas of our life where we know this was an important person, this was an important thing, that was an important place, this was an important goal for me. Um, if we don't have those, life kind of gets all mm, kind of bland and nothing. And it's really important to know that that. Um, that there are things of significance and importance in our life. Ecclesiastes 3.4, famously, you know, if you go and talk about a sad topic, you've got to go to Ecclesiastes, right? <laughs> Either that or Lamentations. Um, there's a season for everything. It's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to weep. There's absolutely a time to weep. A time to be sad. A time to be upset about things we're upset about. Upset about loss. Time to reflect and a time to notice. A time to remember who's missing and why you miss them. To honour people who aren't with us anymore. And to maybe, maybe dwell a bit on why they were such a good part of your life or such a significant part of your life even. Sitting with loss and sitting with grief is important for a period. 
Grief is complicated. In the Bible, um, I think grief's kind of like implicitly there from right near the beginning. Was it like story number three or something? Cain knocks off Abel. Yeah. Doesn't say that they grieved, but I'm guessing they probably did. And just, um, you know, reading a bit for this topic, just flicking through the Bible, it's just, it's unbelievable. I've never noticed it so much. Just so much interwoven into the narrative and the text of the Bible. Of just, just, just really casually as well. King so-and-so died. They grieved for seven days. And then on. But just, just in there, everywhere. And, um, yeah, I mentioned before, Lamentations, a whole book dedicated to grieving the loss of a homeland. Five poems dedicated to grief, to sadness, to, to a bit of anger in there as well, and a, and a bit of hope as well, to grieving the loss of a homeland. But um, it's, it's like I say, it's, they, it's, just, it's, just kind of a, it's just kind of in the background there. The Bible, I don't really believe the Bible is a, a handbook for living. That's not, my, that's not my swing on things. I don't think we go there for like, oh, how do we deal with this thing, or how do we deal with that thing, or how do we deal with that thing. Um, and so there's, no, it's not, there's not really that much instructive stuff about grief in the Bible. It's just part of the story. And so I want to have a look at one of the stories, or a couple of the stories, um, just briefly. So there's this... this Quite, um, quite a gnarly story in the Bible about um, King David and his, and his oldest son, Absalom. And it's, it's a really long and complicated story. Um, and it starts quite a bit before the end of it. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it's logical. If it, sounds, it, starts, it starts before the end. Um, <laughs> so Abs- Absalom had a sister called Tamar, and a half-brother called Amnon. Um, I'm getting some nods, people know the story. Um, and somewhere along the line, Amnon started to fancy Tamar and ended up, ended up raping her. And it appears from the story that their father, King David, didn't do anything about it. Just kind of like a little brush-brush under the mat. And... and uh, Nothing really happened, but Absalom was really close to Tamar, and he was distressed by her distress. And so he must have done some quite heavy plotting about it, because it it took two years. After two years, he set up this elaborate celebration. I don't know how he worked it out, but he worked out that he was going to invite King David and he worked out that King David was going to decline. And then he worked out that he was going to say, well, in your place, can Amnon come? And so he arranged all of this somehow, and it worked out like that. And he got some guys to murder Amnon. And then, of course, he was a fugitive, right? He killed the king's son. So he was on the, he was on the run for three years after that. Um, and the scripture says that David missed him. And eventually David called him back into the city and said, well, told his guys, he said, go and get him, call him back. I'm not going to do anything to him. But then for another two years, the scripture says they never saw each other. So three years out in the wilderness, two years, 
back in the city. Um, and Absalom was really annoyed by it. And so he, eventually he was like, I need to see the king, even if it's for him to tell me, you know, I'm guilty and I'm going to lose my life. And so they met again and David, was, David kissed him, which I, I'm guessing is like some sort of pardon or something. Um, but instead of Absalom being grateful for this, I, I think he kind of lost respect for David and um, started to set himself up as an alternative king, sat at the, at the gates um, and made decisions, you know, kind of held court for people and then eventually staged a coup and David was the one out running out about. Anyway, so big long way to get to the end of the story which is, is that there was this sort of ongoing skirmishes between the two and eventually, um, so David had given his, his chief of command, his uh, Joab, I think, had instructed him not to harm Absalom at all. Um, but as it worked out, you know, a man of war is a man of war, right? And so they come to a point and the two armies or the two, the two forces are together and Absalom, who was known for his luscious hair, was riding on a donkey, his hair gets caught in a tree, he's trapped, the donkey rides away, and Joab, the commander of the king's army, is there um, and makes a decision to kill him. And uh, eventually news gets back to David. And the first words out of his, words, out of his mouth are, um, is the young man Absalom safe? And I'll just read from the scripture here. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab was told, The king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the and for the whole army, the victory that day turned into mourning because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal and who were ashamed when f fleeing from battle. The king covered his face and cried out aloud, Oh, my son, Absalom, my, Absalom, my son, my son. Clearly that's not normal for the time. It disrupted the whole city. Grief is complicated because relationships are complicated. This was the son that had murdered one of David's sons, that had raped his daughter. Oh no, that's, that's the other one. That had slept with his wives and concubines. The son that had set himself up to be king to overthrow his father. The son that had hunted David and intended to kill him. Yet David grieves. He mourns for the loss of his son. You can feel it in the text, can't you? This is like, for me, this is one of the most emotional parts of the Bible. Oh, my son, my son, Absalom, my son, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, my son, my son. 
his cry must have been so loud and unhidden that word got around that he was grieving the loss of Absalom, not celebrating the victory of war. David clearly felt some very deep love for his son who had done so much against him. My son, my son, Absalom, my son. I can just feel it as you read it. Sobbing, snotting, red-eyed. Just deep, deep grief. And then in the midst of the sadness, I can't help wonder if some of the grief is regret. Grief is complicated. If only I had died instead of you, they're the words of regret. Maybe David just kind of started to wonder, what if I'd dealt with that first terrible situation? What if I'd come in then as a father? What if I'd confronted him about the murder of my other son? What if I'd come in then as a father? If only I'd died instead of you. It's the words of love, but maybe it's the words of regret as well. The words of shock. Finding out. How could this have happened? If only I'd done it differently. If only I could go back and fix it now. If only I had five more minutes with him. If only I could tell him that I loved him. If only I could tell him it was going to be okay. What would David have done differently to avoid the loss, to avoid the sadness, to avoid the regret? Grief is complicated. There's no rules to grief. People have tried to come up with rules and ways and stages. There's no rules to grief. Grief happens how it happens. Grief is complicated. There's another story of grief which, which, which hits me as well, um, which is in the account of, um, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 24. I'll just read it, eh? Ezekiel 24:15. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, with one blow I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fast and, and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your moustache or or, and beard or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning. And then in the evening, my wife died. The next morning, I did as the Lord, as I had commanded. God was sending a message to his people through Ezekiel um, that the temple would be not theirs anymore, that it would be, would be desecrated. That the temple, which was the delight of their eyes, was to be taken away from them and that they were not going to be able to mourn for it. Obviously, Ezekiel's wife was very important to him. I don't want to really want to talk about the temple stuff. I just want to talk about the emotion of, of Ezekiel. Every time I read this, I'm just like, oh, oh, how painful. Not being able to show your grief, which is a, kind of my point from this, for this bit this morning. Sometimes grief can't be public. Sometimes you can't show that you've lost, 
for one reason or another. I don't want to go too much into those things, but there are there are settings where you can't show grief, and maybe it's you. It's a particular part of your life. Maybe it's a secret part of your life that people don't know about. Ezekiel, Ezekiel couldn't grieve his wife, and just the reading those words, I don't, I don't know about you. It's like oh, just real. It seems real mean to me, kind of. It seems real mean of God to say that. I'm going to take away the delight of your, the delight of your eyes. Clearly, he loved his wife. Clearly, he really liked his wife. And then to say, don't, don't mourn. You can't show sadness. You can't be sad about it. And sometimes that's, that's how grief is complicated. You can't show it. It can't be out there. Because people don't know about that secret or, or this isn't the right setting or they wouldn't understand or I don't feel safe with them. So I've got to put on a face and groan and get knotted up inside because that's the only place I can put it. Grief is complicated. And it's... That's just two emotions. That's just two bits of complication. There's so much more that can come with grief. Hopelessness, helplessness, denial, resistance, numbness, existential angst, anger, shock. It's complicated. Grief is really tough. I remember with my sister's death, one of the hardest things was getting on with life. I wanted the whole world to be grieving with me. I wanted everybody to be sad with me. I was walking around and people would laugh and they would talk to me like nothing had happened. And just wanted everyone, I wanted the sun to go out. Grief is complicated. It can last for a short time, it can last for a medium time. Or if you're Queen Victoria, it can last for 40 years. That's probably not very helpful. But <laughs> um, but there is a time when we need to move past the loss of grief, the loss of our significant loved one, and start re-engaging with life. Grief is not the final word. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message about grief from the Bible. Grief is not the final word. So I don't want to get stuck on the complicated nature of grief. Everybody needs to move on. Believer or not believer, everybody needs to move on at some point. You can't get stuck in grief. It's not helpful. Picking up the pieces out of the ashes, starting to make something of those pieces again. Finding hope again. Starting to answer the questions that have been running through your head. The what ifs, the why. The if onlys, the how can I live without them, the what's the point, how will they go on, how will I make their memory still live on. But the main thing for us is that we have an enduring hope, we have a deeper hope, a more significant hope, and we sing about it every single week. Oh death, where is your sting? It's the major theme of the Bible. We sung about it this morning. Those, those dry bones, the dead bones, heaven life, right? 
Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, relief, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of, joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of a splendor. Jeremiah 31, 13. Then young women will dance and be glad. Young men and old too, as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. When Jesus arrived on the scene, when he preached his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. He's going back. He's referring to Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jesus, he's saying, this is me. I'm the one bringing comfort to those who are in mourning. Even for people who have had people die, I am hope. Blessed are those who mourn. That's crazy talk. It's the most gut-wrenching of emotions. But blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Some people say, uh, you know, this is about mourning and being uh, mournful of your sinful condition or the things that you've done and then God will come to you and, and you know, say it's okay or whatever and, and give, give you grace and um, you can get on with things. Uh, maybe, maybe, but it doesn't, that doesn't ring for me. I think there's something powerful about saying, no, nah, death is not the final word. I'm the final word. Something powerful about that, right? The gospel is the good news about the writing of the rubbish world, right? Enough for the poor. Hope for the hopeless. A family for the lonely. And joy for those who are in mourning. And that's comfort for now. There's something for that, right? The ability to move on. Because there's hope. Because the, because the Lord is going to comfort. But there's something more than that as well. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring... With Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. And that's a, that's a real thing to hang on to. These are promises that don't take away grief immediately. I knew this stuff when my sister died. I still miss her. But I do know that she is with the Lord in heaven. And that's something. That's comfort. And I do know that I will see her again in the future. And that's comfort. And just resting on these words a bit. There's something about knowing 
everything that that entails, when I see her again, the words of Isaiah, she'll be crowned in her beauty, she'll be whole, she won't be weighed down by worries, struggles of life, by disappointment. She'll be in her completeness, being face to face with Jesus. And there is something really exciting about that. And when I think of that, yeah, that's joy to the morning, right? Yeah. For me, that's worth hanging on to in the middle of grief. So, grief is loss. Grief is complicated. Grief is not the final word. And uh, just to finish with a bit of Boney M, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in God's sight this morning.